Our reading of God's Word continues um, reading selections from the story of Pentecost in Acts 2. Listen for God's Word to you. Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before we begin, I have a... I have a maybe a silly question, but um, you all are familiar with the story of Aladdin and his his magic lamp, right? You know the story. Aladdin finds a lamp and uh, he rubs it. A genie comes out and the genie says, "Thank you for releasing me. I'm going to grant you how many wishes? Three, Three wishes. Okay. Um, apparently, there's one version that has one, but that's the version I heard too. Is I heard the version with three. So the 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 genie offers Aladdin. Three wishes. And my question for you is this. What's the right number of wishes? If, if you got to tell that story, if you, no one had ever heard it before and you were writing that story, what is the right number of wishes? How, is three the right number? Is three enough? Is three too many? What is the right number of wishes? And, and l- l- let me add some focus to the question this way. If you had that lamp in your hand and you knew when you rubbed it, the genie would offer you that many, how many would you be willing to settle for before you gave somebody else the lamp? Okay. So how many is the right number of wishes? Now, I'll come back to that. But today is um, uh, the continuation of our, of our conversation about, the, um, about uh, uh, Peter. And the reason for that is this is the season of Easter. 
And I know it doesn't seem like a season. Easter kind of always seems like a single day in the life of the church, but it's actually a season. We have reminders here. We have special coloration in the, in the decorations. And the reason for that is that even pastors forget. I was in a meeting with a couple of other pastors on Friday, and we were talking about how hard it is to remember that Easter is a season and how we, we stumble over various parts of our church liturgies, uh, during the season because in our minds, we've kind of already moved on from Easter. But we shouldn't because Easter is the center of, of the church's celebration of what it means to be a Christian. What it is that Jesus did um, is Easter. And in fact, every Sunday, even during you know Christmas time, every Sunday is a mini celebration of Easter. So it is a big deal. And what we're trying to do in this conversation during Easter time is to remember what it was that Jesus did. What we, what we did, if you were here on Easter, what you may remember is we were, uh, trying to unpack the, the big idea of Easter, which is Jesus did not, um, Jesus did not escape death. Jesus defeated death. Jesus didn't escape death. Um, he defeated death. And what that means is that, that all the things that, that uh, we, we, um, we despair of in this world, all the, all the brokenness, all the sickness and heartache and pain in this world, the, the way that Christians have understood that is they are the, they are the result of this thing in the world, this, this brokenness, this, this ugliness in the world that we call death. And it includes physical death, um, that, that when we actually die, when our bodies quit working, we say that death caused that. But for Christians, death is a much bigger idea than simply the end of the line for our physical bodies. We believe that death is this broken thing in the world and that Jesus defeated that. That when Jesus um, rose from the dead, he actually defeated death. He left death on the mat um, powerless. And that death cannot even hold on to our physical bodies. That yes, our physical bodies will eventually wear out, but death doesn't have control of them. We believe that at the resurrection, our physical bodies will be reunited with our spirits and we will, we will have a bodily resurrection. Death can't even hold on to our bodies, much less our spirits. So we believe death really is powerless. But what we also understand, and we, we experience this daily, death doesn't say to us, hey, guess what? I've got nothing. I have no power. Death lies to us. Death tells us that it's inevitable that we're going to mess up, that we're going to have to figure out a way of getting through in a world that's all broken. And so death lies. Death, death, the only thing death really has, has left is propaganda. And so what we've been looking at is what does it mean for us today if Jesus actually destroyed death? If Jesus, if Jesus defeated death, and that's what the that's what we celebrate at Easter. What does that mean? And there's two ways we can do that. We can just kind of try and figure it out. We can say, well, if death no longer has any power, I can I could probably do this or I wouldn't do that. But what we're doing instead is we're actually looking at a case study that appears in the New Testament. What we're doing is we're studying the life of uh Peter not before the resurrection, but actually some some things we can learn by looking at Peter after the resurrection. So that's our, that's our kind of big project during this time of Easter is to, to look at Peter and then try and say, okay, well, if that's true of Peter, what will that in turn look like in my own life? What does it mean for me that death has been defeated? So that's kind of our, 
our big idea. And today we're, we're, we're continuing the conversation by looking at Peter's first sermon. When we saw Peter last, he was in the, the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was restoring him to fellowship. Jesus was saying, you know, feed my sheep. And now, um, a while has gone by, about two months, um, seven weeks has gone by roughly since we saw him. And, um, Jesus has now ascended to heaven. And it is the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And and um, uh, that's where we're going to pick up the story because Peter preaches this sermon on Pentecost. And in your in your program, I cut out some of the passages that that uh, Peter quotes because on on Pentecost we often look at the the work of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do uh, for today's message is really focus on this kind of through line that Peter Peter has in his sermon. And so I took out the 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 various uh, scriptures from the the Hebrew scriptures that Peter cites. Um, but if you look at the program, there's questions on the back um, that can help you kind of follow up on some of those things too, if you want to, if you want more depth. So that's where we're at. We're looking at the 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 story of Peter, and what has happened is Pentecost. Pentecost has happened. The believers were all gathered in a room. There was this great commotion. There was a noise like a wind. There were tongues of fire, and then all the people in that room began to speak in other tongues. And uh, a crowd gathered. A crowd heard this hubbub. They heard the commotion. And a crowd gathered to figure out what was going on. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 14. It says, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Um, make no mistake about this. And then he, he says, this is, this is what the prophet Joel told us it would be like uh, in the time leading up to the day of the Lord, that in the last days, this would be what would happen. And so he's kind of answered their question. Why are you guys speaking in my native language? Because this is what God had promised to do in the time leading up to the day of the Lord. So he's answered their question. But Peter sees them. He says, this is a great chance for me to kind of add some 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 more information you didn't really ask about. And he says this, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. He says, he says, do you remember seven or seven or maybe eight weeks ago, um, there was that, uh, that crucifixion, and crucifixions happen all the time, but you remember that one, because it's right up against the festival. Um, do you remember that out-of-towner named Jesus the Nazarene, who you all crucified? And yeah, vaguely, it's kind of comes, it comes and goes, but yeah, I remember it. And he says, guess what? And he said, I don't know what. He says, well, do you know the Messiah? Sure, we know the Messiah. For a thousand years, we've been looking forward to the Messiah. God has promised us a king like David. So for a thousand years, or most of a, the, the, the past thousand years, certainly the last several centuries, we have been waiting for the Messiah that God promised to send us. He says, yeah, of course we know about the Messiah. And he says, guess what? You killed him. He was here. He was Jesus. The one that everybody was hoping for. The one everyone had their hopes pinned on. To solve all the problems that we've been wrestling with for centuries. He was here. And you killed him. He says, with the help of lawless Gentiles. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you didn't even kill him yourself. You got the Romans to do it for you. He says, huh, 
how could you possibly mess up any worse than this? And then he says this. He says, but there's new news. It didn't work. You killed him, but God brought him back. He says, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for God could not, for death could not keep him in its grip. And he says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Me and the 11 other apostles standing behind me, all the people you're hearing today who are speaking to you in your native language, even though no one outside your village really knows that language, all of us, we are witnesses that God has raised Jesus from the dead. He says, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. So you killed him. He was the one we were all hoping for, and you killed him. You used Romans to kill him, and he's not dead anymore. Worse than that, or better than that, God has raised him to the place of highest honor in heaven. He says, And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit, so now he's got power. He's he's up in heaven, sitting at God's right hand, and God has said, Whatever you want, it's at your disposal. Whatever you need, Jesus, you have my authority. Here's the Holy Spirit. Pour it out on whoever needs it. He says, he has gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see in here today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. That's Bibleese for saying, ah, what do you do? Yeah, yeah, I was in the crowd. I was shouting, yeah, crucify him. Out of towner, who does he think he is, right? I was there. Yeah, and you're telling me he was the Messiah? What can I do? How can I fix this? What can I do? He says, says, they pierced him and they said, brothers, what should we do? You know, maybe that's a good question. What would you answer? If you were Peter, if you were Peter, what would you answer? What should, what should someone do in that situation? Well, what Peter actually says is he says, he says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What he says is this. He says, You've been trying to figure out how to get along outside of God's kingdom. You, you're waiting for the Messiah. You, you're waiting. You're like other Jews. You're hoping that God will send a Messiah. But in the meantime, you're figuring, how can I kind of make my way in this world by myself? How can I get through life doing the best I can? He says, you need to stop that because the Messiah has come. And yes, you killed him, but he's not dead. He says, You need to make a decision. Are you going to go on living as if there is no Messiah, as if you are trying to figure out your life outside of the kingdom of God? Or are you going to enter the kingdom of God? Because that's the choice you have. He says, you need to rethink things. You need to rethink your life. You need to rethink your strategy for living. He says, you need to repent. The Bible word for repent for, for rethink is to repent. He says, you need to repent. And you particularly need to repent of the sins of crucifying him, of 
crucifying the one that God sent and using the lawless Romans to do that. He says, he says, rethink, repent, turn to God. So he says, the door's still open. You can get into the kingdom of God. It's not too late for that, but it is too late to stay where you're at. It's too late to stay in your own little kingdom trying to figure out how to work your life all by yourself apart from God. Because it's too late for you to go on doing that. What you need to do is to rethink your life. You need to rethink how you're going to get through and move into the kingdom of God. And he says, and if you do, the proof that this offer is still available to you, the proof is that God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, your children, and to those far away. Those far away. Uh, physically far away? Sure. Sure. I mean, this could include people in Rome, those lawless Gentiles we were talking about. But it could also be spiritually far away. You know, the people, the people you're thinking of. You know, your Uncle George. Your daughter-in-law. The people who are so far from God. This offer is available to all of them. Everybody can still, even at this late date, get into the kingdom of God. He says this offer is available to all of them. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to look at Peter and figure out what can we, what can we learn about ourselves or, or what the resurrection means for us in light of what we see it doing in Peter. And one of the things that I, I notice about Peter here is Peter is doing exactly what Jesus said. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus said to the apostles, you will be my witnesses. And Peter is doing exactly that. You know, can you imagine how tempting it would be for somebody to become more than a witness, to be a prosecutor, to say, to say, you crucified him and boy, are you going to get it. But Peter doesn't do that. You know, why? Because Peter remembers where he was the night that Jesus was being tried. He was in the courtyard denying Jesus. Did he crucify Jesus? No. Was he in the crowd yelling, crucify him? No. Peter was as far away from Jerusalem as he could get. And so Peter is not acting like a prosecutor. He's being a witness. He's doing exactly what Jesus said. He's saying, I know some things that you need to know too. You need to know God kept his promise. He said he would send a Messiah. He did. Not only that, when death tried to claim that, God fixed it. God raised him from the dead. And in fact, in doing so, death was defeated. He's saying, this is what I know. You need to be aware of this. This will help you make better decisions in your own life. It will help you make the most important decision you're ever going to make. He says that... We are witnesses of this. And Jesus is saying, I have a sweet deal to announce to you. You will never get a better deal than this. It's the same deal I got. Jesus met me on the lake and he said, feed my sheep. That's it. All I've got to do is turn away from my own strategy for getting through life. And I'm in. He says, this deal is offering to you, is offered to you too. So he, he acts as a witness. The other thing though he does is he does share. He does, he is generous. You know, the question about the Aladdin's lamp is that there's never enough, is there, right? I mean, we know the story. There's either there's either not enough because we're greedy and three wishes isn't enough, or usually what the stories I've heard is that the first wish goes wrong, 
And so you have to waste a wish kind of undoing it, right? Because we're not very good wishers, right? <laughs> Ultimately, we have to, our wishes are as bad as, 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 and they're so bad, we need to waste wishes fixing our wishes. So there's really no right number that would ever work. And Peter is saying, Peter is saying, you know, I can be generous with this. I can share this because it's not Aladdin's lamp. There's no limit on the amount of wishes I could have. But better than that, I don't have to worry about the wishes going wrong because it's not up to me. I'm telling my king, this is what I need. Jesus is the king. And his goal is to give aid to the people of his kingdom. And so I don't have to worry, did I get it exactly right? Did I figure out all the the provisos in case something goes wrong? I just tell my king, this is what I need. And my king delights in giving me what I need. So I can share. I don't have to hoard this. I don't have to say this is just for me. He says, I've got some news for you. And you should be aware of this. Because this is not something I have to hold on to for myself. And so he says, save yourself from this crooked generation. And, you know, that sounds hard. And I put a picture on the bulletin of a fire escape. I think a lot of us, our mind kind of goes to that place. We, you know... Flames and perdition and things like that. When we hear language, you know, save yourself from this crooked, crooked generation. But you know, they were. They killed an innocent man. And, and they, they used the Romans to do it. You know, and, and maybe there's a lesson there. You know, it, it's never as simple as it seems. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna solve this problem. He's, he's, he's coming to town. He's saying things that at first I kind of liked, but then the more he talked, the kind of, more I realized he was talking to me and that wasn't as much fun. So finally I decided, you know what, the best thing to do is to get rid of him. But, but in order to do that, I had to compromise. I had to quit being a loyal Jew and I had to get the Romans. I, I'm as culpable as they are. You know, I, I, I don't have clean hands anymore because I collaborated in order to get my wishes done. And he says, Save yourself. He doesn't say what terrible people you are. He says save yourself. Even now, you can save yourself from the worst thing imaginable, yelling to crucify Jesus. What could be worse? He's saying you can be safe from that. And if that's true, how much more for our everyday problems? How much more is your marriage salvageable? How much more are your relationships, the ones that you think this is hopeless? How much, how much more are the everyday concerns that we deal with? If the worst crime we can imagine, there's still hope. How much more? You know, there's wind and fire and all those Pentecosty things going on. And Peter says, you can still be saved. How much more can we be saved from our day-to-day problems? You know, he says, We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not for someday when we get to heaven. That's right now. We can be connected to God and we can have His power and strength, His grace and love flowing in us to get us through those storms in our lives. He says, this is available to you now. So, what do we do with this? Well, the first thing is, if you are wondering, should I... Take the offer. It's a great offer. Talk to the people around you. This is a great offer. It's the offer that Peter got. It's the offer that every Christian's ever gotten. It's, okay, come on in. It doesn't get much better than that. 
So if you're wondering, should I still try to work my way through life knowing I'm going to have compromises, knowing I'm going to have to do some deals with some nasty people in order to get what I want? Or should I accept the offer that is here? It's a sweet deal. I encourage you to take it. And if you've already taken it, then what I encourage you to do is to be like Peter and be generous. Share it with the people around you. This is not Aladdin's lamp. There are no limits. So share the good news that you have received with the people in your lives, the people, your children, and those who are far off. If we do this, you know, the verse after this one says that the people responded and 3,000 3, heard, heard the, the message and um, became Christians that day. And if we do that, I don't know where we're going to fit 3,000 people. <laughs> you know, I just don't know how, how we can deal with that problem. But that's not our problem. If we as a church are faithful to convey this message, to be the witnesses that Jesus calls all of us to be, to be like Peter, to be generous, and just to be honest, to say, I got a great deal. Then let's leave the 3,000 people in God's hands. Let's just be like Peter. Let's be generous witnesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we have trouble with, with uh, your grace because nobody else is like you. Nobody else uh, would not extract concessions or make demands in a situation like this. When we, when we are in a mess, a mess of our own making or a mess that we inherited, um, everybody we know tells us, well, you have to promise never to do it again, or they have to say you have to go to the program, or they, they give us, they give us restrictions and put us on a leash, but you simply say, come into my kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to do exactly that, to trust that you are not like, um, you're not like the people in our world who may be trying to be like you, but um, ultimately we all fall short of that. So help us to trust in your grace and help us to be witnesses like Peter, to share it with those around us. We pray it all in his name. Amen.